0: Have you heard of Josephina Baquita? She was beatified by Pope John Paul II in 1992 and then canonized in the year 2000. This is a meditation about her life and her ability to reframe her hardships, her difficulties into opportunities of love. It was preached on February 8th in Kinder College, but I offer it to you now. and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My imaginative mother, Saint Joseph, my father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. Today, in the Gospel of Saint Mark, we get a continuing image or account of the magnetic power of Jesus and his healing properties. He healed and saved many people. And we are told in today's gospel that people were scurrying around, bringing to him the sick wherever they knew he was. They would carry the sick on pallets and stretchers, and the demoniacs would be brought to him. He would excise demons. And the Gospel says that they just wanted to touch him. The sick just wanted to touch him because a power came came out of him. They They would be healed just by the touch. It's a beautiful image of what happens when a soul really comes close to Christ. And when we bring a soul close to Christ. They are healed. They are rendered serene. Meaning is given to their life. They're more at peace. The beauty of coming close to Christ and the beauty of bringing a soul close to Christ that has to really fascinate us. Just like all those people scurrying around. Who can we bring? Let's bring this guy. Let's bring this person. They're all doing their best to bring the, the just so many people with hardships and difficulties and suffering. And you can just picture the peace that exuded from Jesus. Well, we have an example of this in particular today in a, a saint that was uh, canonized by Pope John Paul II, beatified in 1992. I was there, I was there at the beatification. And I wasn't there at the canonization, but I was there at the beatification. And that is St. Josephina Bakita. Josephina was born in Sudan probably around 1869. Apparently her family was actually quite affluent, but that did not protect her from the atrocities of slave traders in the area and she was kidnapped together with her sister and she was sold into slavery as her as a very young girl and in a kind of act of irony her her kidnappers called her bakita that's where she gets the name bakita apparently in arabic arabic it means fortunate the fortunate one like Yeah, you're fortunate for her having been captured. But in a certain way, it was true. But only much later in her life, as she came to understand. Birgitta was sold five different times to five different very cruel masters. She was branded. Imagine she was branded like an animal. She was beaten. She was cut. And uh, one time... Out of just sheer cruelty, they, they put salt into her wounds. And she was left with 114 cuts all over her body or, or gashes or, or scars that were left. She had to work hard. She was not paid for anything that she did. And in her last sale, when she was last sold off, she was sold to an, uh, the Italian consul in Khartoum, the capital of Sudan. And, well, it seems that this fellow was kind to Bakita, but he still kept her in slavery, which was illegal even in Sudan at the time, and certainly in Italy. And he... The story is that he presented her as a gift to an Italian merchant whose name was Augusto Micheli, who was from Venice. And he brought her back to Venice so that he could, she could be the nanny of, uh, of his daughter. And so there she arrived in this estate. And not long after arriving, somebody, I'm not sure who, but somebody presented her with a crucifix. A silver crucifix, probably very similar to this one. And that crucifix was her first encounter with Christ. And looking on that crucifix, that that body, lacerated and in pain, nailed to the cross, had a profound impact on her as she looked at that crucifix and she held it in her hand. And she, it really resonated with her deeply. Something in her resonated that, that made her ident- feel identified with him. Pope Benedict has a beautiful account in his uh, encyclical on hope where he describes what's, what happens to her after that when she discovered Christ like that, he says in Spesalvi, here, after the terrifying masters who had owned her up to that point, Baquita came to know a totally different kind of master in Venetian dialect, which was now, she was now learning. She used the name Paron, Paron, which was like master, for the living God, the God of Jesus Christ. Up to that time, she had known only masters who despised and maltreated her, or at best considered her a useful slave. Now, however, she heard that there is a paron above all masters, the Lord of all lords, and that this Lord is good. He's good. He's Goodness in person. She came to know that this Lord even knew her. And that he had created her. That he he actually loved her. I can just imagine her looking at that crucifix. He loves me. She too was loved by none other than the supreme paran before whom all other masters are themselves no more than lowly servants she was known she was loved she was awaited but what is more this master had himself accepted the destiny of being flogged and now he was waiting for her at the right at the father's right hand this is what gave her hope and pope benedict goes on to describe the 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 hope that was instilled in her that one who had suffered like her or very similarly to her was waiting for her with such love. And as she was going through this, her master, Michieli, was recalled to Africa, I presume back to Sudan, and he wanted to take her back, but she refused to leave Italy. The, The case was brought to court, and eventually with the with the help of the patriarch of venice the bishop of venice uh, she was actually declared a free woman so she could go where she wanted she was no longer considered the property of somebody else how happy she must have been now she was she was actually legally free she was free to embrace the freedom of the children of god and this is the freedom, the lasting freedom of our baptism, that we are we are truly free as children of God. But we have to understand more deeply what this freedom is. So shortly after that, she became a novice with the Kenosha sisters, and she eventually took her vows in 1896. And she served there very faithfully, doing very simple jobs, cooking, sewing, embroidery, uh, being porter and she would give her blessings to the little children who came she would pray over them she was a very gentle gentle person kind loving and uh, a kind of reputation uh, she created a kind of reputation about how good and kind she was icons always show her smiling and holding chains or like kind of handcuffs that's how she's shown in the icons she was really transformed by that encounter in her baptism, and she was, she was really liberated. At first she saw all the these evil, hard-nosed masters, but now, looking at somebody else who suffered, she, she garnered like a new vision. She had a new vision now. The master himself wanted her to, to be an intimate intimate friend close to her and really to embrace the highest ideal of her life to be a saint now we are not obviously in a in a world of real slaves like like bakita was but we ourselves might be slaves of other masters we have uh, the millennial type of masters around us, like our phone, you know. That can be quite a ruthless master. Like, uh, like a slave, if the slave is away from his master or her master, and she's not under his uh, dominion, the, the master gets very mad. Well, we, we get upset when we're far from our phone. Or we have other masters. Like if we absolutely want things to turn out a certain way, or if we are attached to our time, the millennials of our time may not may not be slaves in the sense of shackled, like like Bakita. But the millennials of our time struggle with all kinds of anxiety. You know, heavy anxiety. Sometimes we struggle with distractedness, which is another master, we're constantly distracted, you know, click, 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 click this, click that, YouTube this, YouTube that. And very often, we are growing in a reluctance to face the challenges that daily life, just daily life brings with it. We may picture... Bakita among the Kenosha nuns doing her work, her embroidery work, her cooking, or whatever she did and all that stuff. We may see it like a kind of a simple work, a simple life, but it was not easy. It was quite demanding. And um, she was not in a perfect situation. In fact, I would say that, that no person's life is entirely, is dependent Entirely on, on the situation that she's in. Makita was able to see her situation now, thanks to her baptism, thanks to her formation. I would say, thanks to her freedom, she was able to see any setback, any hardship, any difficulty, with a new light. And she would do that over and over, not just when she had those masters that were beating her, and she didn't become a victim in the sense uh, she she remembered all those scars. But now she saw all those scars through the light of Christ's suffering and, and his redemptive suffering. Like anyone, she would have had challenges, maybe physical pain. She would have had tiredness. She would have had humdrum, daily daily life days. And who knows, maybe distractions as well. But well, we probably have way more distractions than she did, but uh so i've I've heard of this uh, system to fight to fight the masters around us like the masters of distraction, not wanting to face challenges those challenges let's say and you may have heard of that uh, that um, dictum we call. My doctor, Dr. Kevin Majors talks about that. He calls it ready, set, go. Ready, set, go. Like we could do that every day. But you say, Wait, ready, set, go? What do you mean? Well, it's, it's a way to focus and to work with more joy. Ready, what does that mean? Ready is, is to ask ourselves, is the task at hand a threat for me? Or is it an opportunity? As you probably have read, he often suggests reframing, seeing the the work that we have ahead of us, the task we have ahead of us as a chance to grow and to practice and exercise personal ideals and beliefs to really become in this day the best version of myself. If we get this idea that this is an opportunity for me to change, not only to change, but just to be a a better person, a kind of a light bulb will go off in us. It's a whole new way of seeing life. It's a whole new way of seeing our day in front of us. We're ready. So instead of dreading the day, I don't know what you how you react when you hear the alarm go up. Do you dread the day? Do you say, oh, I gotta get up, oh my goodness, I gotta get up. I have this to do, I have that to do, I have this thing. Do you dread it? Do you complain about it? It's very cold, it's... Or even regret for some mistake you made. We all make mistakes, we all regret certain things, but we gotta move on. Instead of facing the day with dread, Let's reframe it in a way that it can liberate us. Some people really, when they discover this way of reframing, they, they practically start crying at how happy they are. Josephina must have wept at the thought of the fact that she had a real master who awaits her. Despite the fact that she had some evil masters or bad masters, now she was discovering she had a master who really loves her and awaits her. She was able to flip things. She was ready. You've all heard that famous dictum by Saint Maria: Don't say that person annoys me. Say that person sanctifies me. That person... Who does in fact objectively annoy me is objectively gonna turn me either into a worse person by me complaining and being upset, or it's gonna turn me or she's gonna turn me into a better person, a more patient person. I can flip it. Have you done any flipping recently? What have you flipped? Have you flipped the cold? Have you flipped the latest setback into something that is good for me? It's a challenge and therefore will somehow make me grow? It'll be behind the greatest freedom that we can have. Perhaps, perhaps you remember an example of this is that movie. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a tremendous movie called Man on Fire with Denzel Washington where he plays a bodyguard in Mexico for a little girl played by Dakota Fanning and uh, she's she's a young little, cute little girl, and she goes to these swim meets and stuff, and he always has to be near her to protect her from kidnappers and stuff. And uh, she loves swimming, and she's actually quite good. She's quite fast. But when she's up on the podium there, you know, about to jump off the launch pad uh, with all the other girls there... Uh, When the starter gun goes, she gets uh, startled and frightened and she doesn't jump properly and uh, she swims fast, but you know, it's the takeoff that always makes her lose. And of course, he realizes this, so he trains her with these two cinder blocks, which he rubs together behind her as she sets herself in training on this in on this kind of launch pad to jump into the pool. And he says, "Okay, when you when I clap these and then you have to go. And he trains her, he says, you are now imprisoned in this block. You are in a prison until you hear the clap and the clap will free you. And uh, it's beautiful how it's shown. And he claps and then she takes off, right? And at first she doesn't, she still gets startled, but bit by bits, it's the gun fire that actually, what previously was something that startled her and and slowed her down now liberates her because she understands that, that that is when I have to go. And um, But for her to do that, she had to intensely focus on being in prison. And hearing the sound meant, I'm free from prison. And whew, she would just go out. It's a lovely, lovely scene. And In fact, she ends up winning her swim beats because of reframing that was reframing and a kind of mindfulness in the moment and then boom she was free now you're you're not at a swim meet well maybe you are but uh, most of you are probably not at a swim meet but but you're starting work you go to the laptop is your mind settled what are you doing there do you know your purpose in the next hour or two hours? We have to be focused in, kind of mindful about the possible distractions, the possible unrelated thoughts that have nothing to do with what you're doing there in front of that laptop, in front of that work. Now, when, we're doing, when I'm doing that, is not the time to answer my emails. Or my text messages that is part of that distractedness that that left this little girl uh, unable to, to really to leap out at the right time. Maybe we see these links on the screen and we want to click it'll take us off somewhere else. We, we shouldn't really go for us. Greater mental awareness of where we are and that we are in front of God can lead us to reframe in a very powerful way is what helped Josephina to take care and and love those little children that she was entrusted with. She was aware that they were of immense value it's a kind of a mental awareness of being set before you go, identify the distractions that could be coming down, refocus to the present, and put all your attentions to the, to the task at hand. What, what distractions? Well, we know, phone, emails, links, worries about the future, other things about the past. How often does my mind go to the past? How often does it go to the future? We can have negative thoughts. I can think, uh, people around me must think that I'm a, I'm a terrible person, or I'm a lazy person, or, not, or I'm not a competent person. That's a thought that can come. It's a thought that we might think, or oh, they may not like me, they may think I'm like this or like that. But well, we should expose ourselves to that thought, and use it to be really a better a better person it's an opportunity it's not a it's not a threat Maybe maybe you have a headache when you start working and it's it would seem it's hard to work uh, and to deal perhaps to deal with people when you have a headache or some kind of chronic pain some people have chronic back pain or and for Bakita, she probably had a lot of pain from from the, the beatings she got and the scars. She still counted the number. Of, she remembered how many scars. Those scars weren't. Uh, I mean, they were healed, but they were. I no doubt they still left her with some pain. They were reminders of her past. She felt them. But isn't that true that that would be if we imagine if you had to do some work dealing with others and you've got a headache? Oh, you got. Wouldn't that be an occasion there to not complain and to grow in the virtue of fortitude? I have to be strong. I have to be strong. And nobody would notice, oh, how strong she is. She's becoming stronger. She's gaining in fortitude. Nobody knows that you have a headache. Well, God, our Lord does. The Lord Jesus does. And He's the one who will continue to give you that fortitude. Or... Or maybe um, maybe it'll be an occasion of just greater generosity with others. When we're generous with others, like when we're working, when we're tired, and we don't feel like being there because we're just tired, and we're, we go to work nevertheless, we go to that meeting, that, that intensifies the bonds with others. I heard about a guy who called in to work and said, oh, I'm not feeling too well, I've got a cold, uh, you know, I can't come into work today. And his boss said, Okay, no problem. But then he posted on Instagram himself on the beach or something. You <laughs> <know>. <laughs> he, he was on the beach saying, I, I just called in at work and look what I get, I get so, But of course, his boss checked his Instagram account and saw that, right? And of course, he got fired. He got fired. I mean, he was. Uh, trying to take advantage of what he thought was the naivete of his boss. That's certainly not a way to create bonds with others, right? Lord, I want to create bonds. Remember that, uh, perhaps we can finish with that, what I think is a beautiful um, account of how Saint Therese de Lisieux grew uh, in patience. You know, you know, for the year of mercy, the Pope spoke about bearing patiently those who do us ill. That's one of the works of mercy. Right? It's one of the works of mercy. And, uh, and um, or spiritual works of mercy. It's not a physical work of mercy, but it's a spiritual work to bear others patiently. Well, she recounts, perhaps you remember that, um, she says... Uh, She had this other nun in the convent who was just driving her up the wall. She says, For a long time, my place at meditation was near a sister who fidgeted continually, either with her rosary or something else. Possibly, as I am very keen of hearing, I alone heard her but I cannot tell you how much it tried me. So they're, I guess they're all lined up somehow, they're perfectly lined with their, you know, with their and, uh, and this nun next to her is going, <laughs> fiddling. She said, I should have liked to turn around and by looking at the offender, make her stop the noise. But in my heart I knew that I ought to bear it tranquilly, both for the love of God and to avoid giving pain. So I kept quiet. But the effort cost me so much that sometimes I was bathed in perspiration. And my meditation consisted merely in suffering with patience. I can see her (laughs) like that, you know and there are streams of sweat coming down. After a time, I tried to endure it in peace and joy, at least deep down in my soul, and I strove to take actual pleasure in the disagreeable little noises. Instead of trying not to hear it, which was impossible, I set myself to listen as though it had been some delightful music. And my meditation, which was not the prayer of the quiet, was passed in offering this music to our Lord. That's what you call reframing. <laughs> That's Would you call it reframing without calling it that? Because she never would have used that word. She would have said reframing. So if we are patient with others, we can imagine how beautifully this will increase our bonds with them. And they may not even realize it. In fact, they they will not even have a clue. Because if we are kind with people we find annoying, if we are kind when we have just a headache, that is not their fault. In fact, it's probably not even their fault that they're annoying. But if we really seek to be patient, seek to be serene, seek to smile, we are really putting them first. We're really putting their needs first. So, Josefina Bakita is for us an example of fortitude, she's an example of patience. She's an example of humility, of service. And the beautiful, really truly beautiful, liberating quality or or liberating dimension of our baptism that she was so thankful to have received because she came so close to that, that master that she saw on the cross and that so touched her when she saw it for the first time. Well, let us ask her, Saint Josephina Baquita. and for us too, she has a certain resonance, also because she was beatified on the same day as St. Josemaria, May seventeenth, 1992. Let's ask her to intercede for us, to help us to take all those opportunities that the Lord gives us to be higher and more in tune with God's will. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations You have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you how to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.